As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. All right, how are we doing this morning? It is good to see all you. Thank you for joining us online. I want to start with this, some statistics from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. You say, why are you doing this? Because it shows how we spend our time. So this is how you and I, according to the United States government, spends our time. Average amount of sleep, eight hours and 33 minutes during the weekdays, Nine, who's getting the 928? Give me, an, give me a hand raise. I'm telling I think some government employees are getting this. Oops, I'm sorry. Okay, how about this one? Average work. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Full-time, 89% of people work eight and a half hours a day on the weekdays, and 31% work 5.4 hours on the weekends. Man, we're just grinding out. We're putting on the time. Let's look at this. Average leisure, five hours and 16 minutes a day. That includes television, social activities, working out, eating, drinking, shopping, reading. How about this one? Average time with pets. The average time is less than 45 minutes a day. I've got a little dog. His name is Teddy. He's getting really old. And it's not even a dog. It's this big. It's, it's, he's embarrassing. Mine's less than 10 minutes, I tell you that. Let's move on to this. How do, how do we spend our time? Parents with children under age of six. Give me a hand raise if you're out there. Under age of six. Let's just see how you're doing. Two hours and nine minutes a day caring for those kids. Come on, let's give them a round of applause. Isn't that awesome? It's more than that. But look at the dads, how chintzy they are. One hour and 18 minutes. Moms are killing it at two hours and 49 minutes. Killing it isn't the right word here. They want to kill the dads. Could you help around here? How about this one? Parents with next one. Parents with children ages 6 through 12, okay, you only spend one hour a day. That's what happens. Hey, these kids are going to get older. Out of their diapers, you don't have to spend much time with them. And dads are doing 41 minutes. Moms, you're holding down the fort at one hour and 18 minutes. This is good, helpful information from your United States government. Next thing is this. Parents read to their children. This is what they do. I mean, this is what they're spending money on. They read to their children 28 minutes a day. They help with homework less than an hour. They play with their kids one hour and 43 minutes a day. Next one, parents with children ages. Okay, now we're getting older kids. So I'm laughing too. This is six minutes a day going to extracurricular activities. Like we're in, my kids went to travel sports six minutes a day. Are you kidding me? Have you ever been heard of orcasis? That's a two and a half hour venture every Saturday. Uh, track meets, I mean, eight hours. Thankful my daughter did the indoor event or the, 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 the events at the beginning so that we didn't have to stay for the whole thing. That is way more than six minutes. Okay, other ways. I, I'm getting too intense right now on Mother's Day. 51 minutes a day grooming ourselves. Let's just say some are spending too much time. And some need to spend a little longer, <laughs> if we're just really honest. And 18 minutes cleaning the house. Um, I got that done today. I put in 19 minutes. Nine hours. Now, this is the one that's foolish. Nine minutes a day on the phone with email. and Nine minutes? I'm looking at our executive pastor over here. He puts nine minutes every 
10 minutes. It's just like, it's just like he's doing it right now. Put that phone away. And, and, and he has it. It's just like, this, this is totally it. But then, then this is it. Hold on, a little conviction. 18 minutes a day. Remember, this is a secular study. Volunteering and religious activities. 18. Ouch. Okay, so we don't need a summary slide for this. That's how the U.S. thinks you're spending your time. My question is this. How should we be spending it? as followers of Christ? How ought to we to be spending it? Or maybe better said, what's the best use of our time? How can we make the impact and do what God wants us to do because that's what we want to do. We don't want to just spend our time. We want to make the most of our time. Open your Bibles to John chapter 13. We're in the middle of our series and it's called Recalibrated Reliance. We're looking at Jesus answering some questions for us regarding how we spend our time. That's the title of the message. I brought this up here to say this is how he says to do it. As I hold this towel in my hand, this is how Jesus says that we're to spend our time. He says this is the best way that you and I can spend our time with practical examples, with meaningful examples, with impactful examples of this. You say, what are you talking about? Hey, it's a well-known passage. Jesus on the night he was betrayed. John chapter 13. I want to give us four principles from his life on serving each other best. And so let's read the passage. He says in verse one, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. So context is, this is the Last Supper. This is right before his crucifixion. This is the epic event. How does he want to be remembered? Verse two, during supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God, was going back to God. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Ah, there it is. That's the practical way. That's the meaningful way. And then he came to Simon Peter. Look at this interchange. Lord, do you wash my feet, Simon asks. Jesus answered, What I'm doing, you didn't understand now, but afterwards you will understand. We're going to unpack that in a moment. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answers, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. Hey, the whole thing. Let me give me a bath. Jesus is like, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. Moron. Excuse me, that's not in the text. But isn't it true that we're all moronic at times? because we don't understand the complexity of biblical truth. There's some big truth here. But not every one of you is clean, he said. Peter, you're completely clean. For he knew he was about to betray him, the one, that's why he said not everybody was clean. He's talking about Judas. And we had washed their feet, including Judas's. Wow, that's an example right there. He washed the betrayer's feet? Yep, that's what he did. He put his outer garment and resumed his place and said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do as I have done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. 
Father, thank you for this example. Thank you for this teaching. Thank you for John chapter 13. Thank you for Jesus, the, the one who gave it all. I just would ask that you humbly, Lord, use me to communicate his truth in a compelling way so that we would, we would follow his example. And so, I, I, Lord, I want to follow his example more in my life, and I, I see myself falling short. And I, I know that isn't just me. Would you help us to take the principles from this text and apply it to our life so that we could have more of an impact, a meaningful impact with those around us? No matter what stage of life we're in, no matter who we serve, no matter who's around us, no matter what, what's going on, that we would learn today. If you agree with that prayer, simply say amen. For examples. Jesus is our example. These are the principles. Let's go ahead. If you're a note taker, write this down. We serve each other best by doing whatever needs to be done. So whatever it is, it's the small things. It's the practical things. Sometimes it's the little things that make the greatest impact. And so again, we've painted the context. Look at verses four and five. What's Jesus do? He takes a towel just like this one and he gets down on his knees and he begins to wash their feet. And he's, he's drying them off. And, and so why would he do such a thing? Well, because that wasn't uncommon in their day to wash their feet because they wore sandals without socks. Important biblical teaching coming on fashion. On fashion. Never wear socks with sandals. Just teaching the Bible, aren't I? And somebody was about to clap over here. And, 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 but their feet were dirty because they walked around and they all wore sandals. And, and so... What was not uncommon was that the feet were being washed. What was uncommon was who was doing the washing. Because, see, in their day, that, that if you didn't wash your own feet, which was most often the case, sometimes the wives would wash the husband's feet. Sometimes the kids would wash their parents' feet. None of that's happening in my home, if you know what I'm saying. No, you're washing your own feet. Those are, that's disgusting. Put your socks on. I mean... But honestly, think about the humbling experience. But if you were visiting in their day and you went to like a gathering with a dinner, then there would be somebody else, a servant or a family member, who would literally do this dirty deed, this task for the host. Jesus is hosting the dinner and he does it himself. That's a, that's a humbling sight. Our Savior the one who would take the sins of the world, that he would serve us in the most meaningful ways, in the most helpful ways. I mean, can you imagine for a moment Jesus, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, on his knees, wiping your feet? I mean, it ought to be reversed and we should be the ones on our knees wiping his. Can I get an amen? And so it's the little things, it's the practical things, it's... It's the meaningful things. So I don't know what that looks like. Like I said, the interesting point here is that Jesus was doing it to them. He was doing something that they expected, but it was the unexpected who was doing it for them. What's something that you expect somebody to do for you that you would now do for them? What's something that you might have someone else do for you or for the people around you or for your family that you would do for them? That, that's the teaching. That, that we'd be willing, key emphasis, willing, hey, I'm not going to ask somebody to do something I'm not willing to do myself, that we would be willing to wash each other's feet. At home, I don't know what it looks like for you, what stage of life it is, and whether it's walking the dog, and 
my dog can't walk anymore, so I just drag him. Or whether it's, I don't know, whether it's emptying the diaper genie. Do they still have those? Do you remember the diaper genie? I didn't say empty the diaper, I didn't say change the diaper, I just said empty the genie. But I should, if Jody was here, you probably ought to try doing that too. And, 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 but just to be a help, whatever it looks like, is that I would do these things. Maybe it's at work and maybe it's taking somebody off, something off of somebody else's plate. If they're there after five at the office, what are you working on? Hey, how can I help you? Refrain from that. Nobody's at the office after five anymore because nobody goes into the office, right? <laughs> so next time you're on a Zoom call, just say, hey, let's say, what can I do to help? How, how can I help you to, to make your job easier? I mean, again, it's the willingness to do it. Hey, how about a church? I mean, we have Pastor Craig right here with his whole family. Can we give it up for them? Praise the Lord for Pastor Craig. And instead of when you leave the service today and Pastor Craig and his wife Camille and they're all out there in this lobby and greeting everybody with a smile and, and you say, Lord, bless you, Pastor Craig. Why don't you say, Lord, how can I bless you, Pastor Craig? And then he'll give you his car keys and say, fill up the tank because it costs a fortune. <laughs> I'm kidding. But, but how can we be a blessing to other people right here in the church? I mean, I remember the simple things. I remember when my dad, um, after I did his funeral and I came home and, and our yard was like manicured and leaves and grass cut, like we weren't even thinking about that. We were gone for 10 days and it, it's the little things that... I mean, just recently, you know, I was behind somebody at Starbucks and, and they did that thing. You know, sometimes people do this and, and they paid for my coffee. And man, I wish I would have known that. I'd have ordered a heck of a lot more. <laughs> I'm kidding. But what are some practical things that, that we can do for one another? I, that, that's the teaching that, that I'm trying to come across because that's what Jesus did. It was extremely practical. And so how about, let's look at a couple quotes. Martin Luther King Jr., one of my favorites, he said it like this. The first question which the priest and the Levite asked was, if I stop to help this person, what will happen to me? But the good Samaritan, that's the one we're following, reversed the question. If I don't stop to help this man, what will happen to him? Hey, how can we help each other? How about this next one? Isaac Watts, the hymn writer. In matters of equity between man and man, our Savior has taught us to put my neighbor in place of myself and myself in place of my neighbor. And then here's Helen Keller, blind and deaf, human rights advocate. Believe when you're most unhappy that there is something for you to do in the world. So long as you can sweeten another's pain, life is not in vain. Hey, it doesn't matter what's going on with me. And I can have a party, you know, oh, look at me and what's going on. Like, how can we best serve each other? Even in times of difficulty, even when, when the dark cloud is on your day. I think at times that helps to brighten things up when you step up for someone else. Second example, Jesus is our example of serving each other. And again, keyword best. How can we best serve each other? Well, we're going to give it our all. That's what we want to see next. And I don't think I have to make an argument here that if you flip forward a couple chapters, Jesus gave everything. And so that principle, spiritually speaking, of what he was about to do is being modeled here. So what can we give? We can give our all. And so Jesus has this interaction, and I read it already, but we'll summarize it and put it on the screen. Jesus got this interaction with Peter. He comes to Peter to, to buff up his feet, she feet and it had a lot of work to do. 
He's trying to give him a holy manicure and he's like, well, no, you're never going to do that for me. And Jesus is like, well, then you don't have any part with me. That's how important it is to allow Jesus to clean us daily. That's the principle. That what? That the foot washing. And then Peter's like, well, okay, give me a whole bath and a shower then. And Jesus, no, you don't need a whole bath and a shower because you're already clean. Again, the greater theological principle. He's talking about salvation, which is wrapped up in regeneration or being saved and sanctified. Being saved is that I enter into a relationship with Christ, that I turn my life over to him, that I embrace his work on the cross for myself. For by grace you've been saved through faith. I'm saved. I'm clean. I'm going to heaven, but it starts right now. That's saved. Sanctified is what? It's the daily walk that we walk through this life with the dusty road that we're on because we live in a sin-stained world. Is this relating to anyone? And we're swimming around in the culture and we're being influenced and, and man, we can't help but get dirty. And then some of us, like me and you too, if we're honest, we're really dirty because we made some really unwise decisions. And we did some things that we regret. And man, I'm thinking, I wish I wouldn't have done that last Tuesday, even last Thursday, and I did it again yesterday. Honesty at church? Been there? That's the foot washing. See, Christians neglect one for the other. We think, well, we got the shower, so it's going to last me for my whole life. Hang with the analogy here, but that shower Jesus had last week didn't last you till yesterday. But Jesus is saying that he has to clean us up. And so we have to turn to him each day. And, and he wants to clean us up. And, and that's the picture. Us being saved and being sanctified, that we're going to allow him to clean us up each day. And so that takes time and that takes repentance and that takes faith and that takes confession and that takes time with God. That is not just moving ahead to the next thing. And so just like Jesus wants to serve us in our spiritual growth, we, you and I, who have received that, we want to help others. Can I get an amen? That's what we want. We want to wash other people's feet and we want to help them. I mean, it was modeled today. And, and so what, why did we do the parent-child dedications? I was watching them when I was coming in. Some of you know I teach over at Wheaton, our Wheaton location. And so I was watching the baby dedications and the parent-child dedications. And, and we don't say baby dedications because the baby's not making a decision. The parent, which is, Craig already eloquently said this, the parent is making a decision to raise their child in a home and provide an influence, a spiritual influence, and be an example that they want to see that kid make a decision for Christ at an early age. And then what we want to do in the church, that's why they're up here, we're like, we want to come alongside you for the mutual desire of completeness and growth in Christ. Catch that for a moment. Mutual desire. We want to come alongside you. We can't do it for you. We want to help you to provide an environment and to train you and to help you that what? That your child will make a decision for Christ. They'll be saved. And then those junior high years and those high school years and even those college, that they would be sanctified. 
So let's give it up for the countless numbers of volunteers that serve in children's ministry and student ministry. Man, praise the Lord. They want to be an example to Jesus and, and serve. I've heard it says it, it takes a, what does it take? It um, takes a village. I was going to say an army because it takes that too. To raise a kid. And, and, and that, it, that's what it, we've got to lean on each other. Man, these times are tough. They're, they're unexplainable. I, man, our kids are being influenced. I, I personally think that our kids were hit the hardest in this, this time, the last two years. I mean, I couldn't imagine going through that. And it, it, it's, we need each other. I'm so thankful for the new season that we're moving into, even here with our student ministry. And grateful for where God has taken us and grateful for where we're headed as that's part of limitless, the investment we want to make in the next generation. I was thinking about it this week and um, six of our eight location pastors have all had extensive time doing student ministry. One of the pastors who will remain nameless even wrote a book about student ministry. I mean, I'm just sharing this to say we want to recalibrate. We want to get to the place, man. We want to walk alongside our students and see them to achieve and attain the mutual desire of maturity in Christ. And it ain't an easy job. It takes a village. We want to be a good example. And so let's look at a couple quotes for a moment. Henry Ward Beecher says it best about being an example because that's what we want to be. We should live and labor in our time that what came to us as a seed may go to the next generation as blossom. And what came to us as blossom may go to them as fruit. This is what we mean by progress. Man, we don't want to stay here. We want to keep moving forward. And then how about this one? Diedrich Bonhoeffer could say so much about the sacrifice that he made. He gave his life for the gospel. A righteous person is one who lives for the next generation. Hey, it isn't about you. It's not about what you want. It's not about what you like. It's not about me, 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 me in church. What are we going to do for the next generation? And what's church going to look like so that they can be one, so that they can mature? I mean, these are the deep questions we're asking ourselves and want to press into here at High Point Church. And then let's even go to the great one, the goat, our very own Michael Jordan. I mean, there was a lot of things he did right. He gets this one right. I want to be the bridge to the next generation. Now, maybe he was talking about a basketball and a hoop. But for each of us, as followers of Christ, I, I want to be a bridge, man. I want a bridge, a bridge that connects. That's what Jesus is doing. He's, he's modeling it through service. So two more principles, good stuff so far principles that we can learn from Jesus. I mean, this is what I love about this series, Recalibrated Reliance. We're recalibrating everything. I've been personally just recalibrating my own heart to God and his word. That's the series. And, and I'm helping you. I'm reading these texts so that, that like, man, if I want to know about serving each other best, then how else, can, I mean, what a, what, where else can you turn to John chapter 13 and, and learn the principles that Jesus taught? And this next one, you'll see it right in the text. We serve each other by becoming good examples. And so th- he says it right here. That, hey, I'm your Lord, I'm your teacher. I just washed your feet. I, I gave you the, the manicure. I, I, you ought to do what I just did. You ought to wash each other's feet. That's the teaching. 
And so on this Mother's Day, I, I know this can be a difficult day, as has probably been said for some. I think of my own life, and even today on the way over here, I, excuse me, my fir- the first service I did in Wheaton, I was thinking about my own mom, who 20 years ago died of cancer, and I, man, she just set it up, set me up to win, man. She just breathed life into me. And, and then I don't talk about this one a lot, but I started thinking about my birth mom. Some of you guys know I'm adopted. And so I started, and I don't really think about her that often, to be honest. I met her once and, uh, through a freak thing. And, and I just, every time, it's, I, I just celebrate the choice that she made to have me and give me up for adoption. I, I mean, that's, the modeling and the sacrifice. And then I think of my girls, Allie and Aaron and Emily, and as they're spread across the country, I, I think about the influence that they had with their mom. And then I gotta just tell you, it, it doesn't stop there. And the challenge for you is, with Jody, it was her mom. And she's the one, Doris, she's the one that poured into her. She's the one that provided the example. And, and not too long ago, if you give me the, uh, allow me the privilege, I, I want to read Jody's tribute to her, his mom, her mom as a way to honor her as she's suffering right now. And um, she's going through Alzheimer's. And, and, and Jody wrote this several years ago. And she entitled it, Never Too Late prophetic so it's a little long but let me go ahead if you haven't done this I'm just being an example of what we need to do even if it was hard and take the high road that maybe it wasn't that great but acknowledge the good and be an example to your kids to the other people around you so Jody gathered this around with her, um, all of us and, and read it to her mom. She writes, Dear Mom, I know I've tried to express my love and appreciation for you and, and you've been, it's been really hard to put into words and cards. I always come up short or I run out of room. Jody's one of those people, you know the people that on the card they, and then they just like, you're like, what is going on? <laughs> and then there's an arrow and you're like, what's happening? And, and with Jody, there's an arrow and then there's a little card in the, in the, in the you know, it's on the envelope. I mean, is that the address or is that a message? And she writes, but this Mother's Day, I'd like to try to pay tribute to you as a wonderful mom. Mom, I appreciate so many of your attributes, but I have to say that these four words stand out to me the most. And notice the genuine honesty. First, you're committed. This is hard. You're committed to dad and our family. I know that at times, your marriage with dad was difficult and you were hard on yourself for not being more loving but I saw you demonstrate love and service and care on a daily basis. It's the little things, mom, like preparing his favorite foods and the big things like coming alongside him to run the farm when his brother retired from the partnership. Many of the things you did, like fishing on vacation in Canada every summer, which were probably not your first choice to go to Canada to fish, but we never would have known because you were enthusiastic and you always made our vacations fun and memorable. Thanks for taking the vow you made to dad before God so seriously till death do us part, even when you didn't know Christ as your savior. That commitment for the last 50 years has kept our family together and unify. Second, you're supportive. Not a day or a moment has gone by in my life when 
I did not know of your love for me and your constant support. The same way you rose to the occasion in supporting dad, you supported each of us as kids. Whether it was in teaching John math when the teacher quit on him or helping me learn to twirl the baton with my right hand when I wanted to quit, she was left-handed and they make you do it right-handed. Do they still do that? So she had to learn it right-handed because, oh, left-handed people are bad. (laughs) I'm left-handed. Okay, let's move on. She writes this. You demonstrated hard work and gave us good advice. You taught me not to say anything at all if I didn't have anything nice to say. You taught me to treat others the way I would want to be treated, to always tell the truth, to work hard, to be kind, and not talk behind people's back. You taught me to pray at night, every night. I'm so thankful that even though I didn't know Jesus as my Savior until I was a young adult, the communication line was open when God ripened me. Third, you're resourceful. Listen to this. Having been born during the Great Depression, that really made an impression on you. Who would have thought to put bread bags over our feet before pulling, putting our winter boots to keep our feet dry? <laughs> or would have, who would have known to ask the grocer for empty Chiquita banana boxes, that's what it says, for packing our vacation and storing Christmas ornaments? You sewed 90% of my sister's clothing when money was tight, and you had two little ones. Mom, you're ahead of your time. You began recycling containers and travel coffee cups before the word recycle was used, and it was cool. We even recycled our brown lunch bags and gift wrap. We were reusing Cool Whip and margarine containers before Gladware was invented because you were resourceful. We had everything we needed and we used and appreciated everything we had. You also worked part-time while I was at, co- at school so that I could go to college. Last mom, you're smart. This is the last thing. For your job, you cataloged, cataloged and wrote a brief synopsis of every book for the library. You taught yourself computer and now are the most computer savvy senior citizen around. You've read more books in your 77 years than any woman I know. It's no wonder that our God used a casual reading of the Left Behind series to draw you into a relationship with him. That's how she got saved. Mom, you're smart enough to know that you were getting truth from a book you had cataloged as fiction. Mom, you're smart enough to know that figure out the church, in church, saying the Nicene Creed wasn't enough. Trying to do well and be a good person won't get you to heaven. You figured out that you couldn't wait till you were good enough to accept Jesus, but rather come to understanding that you would never be good enough until you accepted Jesus. Mom, you're smart enough to demonstrate to all that it's never too late to surrender yourself to Christ and accept his payment on the cross for your sin. By God's grace, Mom, you did that at age 68, and you never looked back. You know that you are a new creation. Your faith was tested right away when Dad died a couple years later unexpectedly. You lead... Your faith led you to be baptized at age 69 so that you could put to rest the pride of your previous efforts apart from Christ. Mom, I'm so proud of you. Your faith continues to grow as you show the love of Christ with your coworkers, your friends, your neighbors, and and our remaining unsaved family. You're actively involved in a small group, prison ministry, writing and editing encouraging letters and gifts. You encourage me daily to never give up on praying for God's salvation in someone's life. You're right, Mom. It's never too late. It's never too late to honor and respect. It's never too late to glorify God. It's never too late to impact someone with the gospel. It's never too late, we think it is, to be a good example. And sometimes we wonder if it pays off. It's paying off. It it doesn't feel like it and it's really hard, but, but it's gonna pay off. Could we be filled with a place that we would be a good examples of, of what Christ has done and, 
and, and that we would serve each other. And I'm so thankful this doesn't say lifetime on it because that's where I got it this morning. <laughs> but I'm going to bring it back. <laughs> but that we would, we would do the right thing <laughs> and, and that we would serve each other. Hey, lastly, I just want to sum it up real quickly. And we serve each other by best by having an eternal perspective, by thinking about the internal impact that we can have. And so follow the bouncing ball here that Jesus, I didn't read this part. So the last few verses in verse 20 says, truly I say to you, he's talking to the disciples, whoever receives the one I send, that's you and I, Jesus has sent us, receives me, Jesus. And whoever receives Jesus receives the one who sent me, God. So do you see, it's like, hey, I'm just flipping burgers at McDonald's or I got the big office, uh, corporate office job and I'm, I'm doing so well. Hey, it doesn't matter. Everything in between, that's not an eternal perspective. The eternal perspective is that we have the privilege of inviting and letting people know God through us. That, that's what Jesus did. And, and his ultimate example was that he died for the sins of the world so that everyone could be what? Come to a personal place of belief, but they have to do it on their own. That's the cross. That's the bath. And then for those who've had the bath, that not it nice that we only have to take a bath once in our lifetime? That he washes us daily as we come to him. And so the impact we want to have is we want to help people to understand that. And Jesus' strategy, we talk about that a lot. It's care and share. Those are two words. They rhyme. But Jesus modeled it. He modeled it here and that what? He cared enough and were to share. Can't just do one or the other. That's his two-pronged strategy. If we care without share, then we leave people without the gospel and we're just what? It's like a social, you know, gospel. If we share without care, we, we don't, we leave people without the heart of God. May, may I show you the motivation as we put the review slide up? May I show you to the motivation? This is my favorite part. I left it to the end. The motivation that God has for us and that we have for each other as we serve, it's in verse one. Jesus says it's love. That, that's what he said. I, I, I love this part. He says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So Jesus' motivation wasn't a pat on the back to do good. Jesus' motivation wasn't, I get uplifted and you're going to give me more responsibility and I'm going to have more stuff to do and I'm going to get a title because of what I do. God forbid that. It's because I just love serving people. Because Jesus served me. He dedicated every moment of his life to serving others. And I don't know about you, but that's, that's, that's a bar that I'm trying to, I can't quite get over it, but, but I'm trying. And so these are the ways that he wants us to serve each other. And so you say, well, that's kind of general. Do you have a practical example that I could do this week. Yes, I do. I came extremely prepared. As you leave the service, there's a laundry basket there. And so take this home, put your dirty laundry in it, come back, 
and we're going to wash it and fold your underwear for you. That's not what's happening. Some people thought I was serious for a moment. They're like, this is awesome, man. I'm telling you, who's doing this? And nobody's volunteering for that service. But, but what, what we're going to do is there's a list of things that you can purchase. And so you fill the basket. And so this is under our spring cleaning of neighbors helping neighbors because we want to serve each other. And so let me tell you the contents of the basket. You can read the list, but it's stuff that... Um, it's stuff that a snap card won't buy. If you don't know what a snap card is, it's, I, I don't know, you're not allowed to say this or something. It's, it's what food stamps used to buy. And so a snap card is like the things that can't be purchased that are really important. And so all of our care centers, they've identified these are the items that people need the most. And so we want to blow the care center up with these items. Anybody with me? And so the responsibility is that we're going to serve... By just, 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 and so it's the whole month of May. So don't have to do it today. Don't want to interrupt the Mother's Day lunch. God, we wouldn't want to do that. But don't forget to get one of these. And I hope we run out of them. And if we run out of them, then go buy your own one of these and bring it back. Sorry, that came across a little mean. But just do it. Because this is how we want to serve. And one of the cool things I wish I had more time to explain is we partner with Naomi's house, which is uh, a ministry. Many uh, of the girls come here and it's human trafficking and it's right here in the area and they come to our church and we're so thankful for them and prayed with them up front. And, and so these are things that they need in their house. And so we just want to serve. We want to serve each other. We want to follow Jesus' example. Let's stand together if you're able. Father, thank you for your goodness and thank you for your grace. Thank you for the unbelievable wonder of your love. Thank you for the example that you've been. And as we reflect upon your surrender and your service, may we be reminded how we can surrender and serve others through your strength. And Father, I want to acknowledge the person that's hurting and the person that's difficult right now that a cloud is hanging over them for whatever reason and they're doubting whether they can help or be of help to anyone. And Lord, these are the times when we could best serve, that we could get our eyes off of ourselves and get our eyes onto someone else and may that be an encouragement. I pray that you would use us this week in practical ways, in meaningful ways, in purposeful ways, in intentional ways that that even we would be reminded of Jesus' example as we walk through this week and that we would do something that would be unordinary for us but it would be ordinary for Jesus because he came to serve and we want to follow his example. If you agree with that prayer, simply say amen. Let's worship together.